So last week, or the week before, was Labor Day uh, weekend, and I think so many people um, celebrate Labor Day by like almost a, a, a bizarro like mirror image of Memorial Day, right? Where it's like Memorial Day is summer's birthday, and we're entering into this going, yes, if you've got friends who live on a lake, you're called to help them put the dock into the water, and you're pretty pumped up, fired up about boating all summer long. Labor Day is the party afterward. After summer is done, when you have to say goodbye, and now the, the party is there to, to help take the dock out of the, the water, which is much less fun. Um, Labor Day uh, weekend usually involves um, hanging out at somebody's like, backyard barbecue or maybe a park nearby. Um, you walk up to the party five minutes, fashionably late, and you see like these collections of people gathered all across the yard in little circles and little huddles. And it doesn't take long before you walk in. And it's like instantly I know where I'm going. You find your circle, you find your huddle, and it's like you have been friends with these people for almost as long as you both have been alive. Because it's a, a Tom you grew up with, and it was not just elementary school, but it was kindergarten that you guys had the same teacher. And you've just been pals ever since. Um, Katie, you used to date, and it's not weird anymore. Somehow you've become friends through it, and you can actually enjoy each other. Um, it, it's like over here, we've got a, a gym, and you guys were on the offensive line in high school together and have been unofficial brothers ever since. You step into this circle, you step into your huddle, and it... It just feels right. It just feels like you're at home and comfortable here. There are stories that get shared once every year. The same stories told the same way. And it's funny every time. Not because of the story, but because of the memories that come behind it. And it's just, it's, it just feels so comfortable, so good. And, you know, John, uh, or Jim, he, he jumps into one of the stories, and like all of them, you've heard at least once a year for 10 years, and you know exactly where the funny parts are and where the punchlines are. And as he gets to it, and it builds up and builds up, and then he, he like, hits that punchline right on cue, and everybody in the circle starts to laugh. And you have this, like, one-and-a-half-second pause where you just kind of scan out at the yard. And you can see all across are all these circles, and everybody's doing the same thing. You are huddled up in a circle, uh, laughing, enjoying each other's company, just feeling comfortable. And you think like this, this is a good Labor Day party. And then your eye like, happens to make contact with, uh, with somebody not in a, in a huddle, with somebody not in a circle. She's standing over, not by people at all. In fact, she, she's standing by the, the snack bar. More specifically, I think you could say she's standing by the brownies. These will be in back after the service, I promise. And for now, let's just call her the woman by the brownies. And you kind of like look over at her and immediately you think like, who's she here for? Like, it, this party has been going on for just over an hour. If she were meeting somebody here, she would have met them already. And your heart just a little bit breaks for her awkwardly standing by the brownies. But then uh, Katie jumps into another story that you've heard every year for 10 years now at the same party. And you, you know where it's going and you know where the punchlines are. And as soon as she hits it, everybody laughs in the group except you. 
Because your mind is still wandering over by the woman standing by the brownies. And you're still wondering how painful that is, right? How painful to go to a place where everybody seems to know everybody else except one who's standing by the snack table, by the brownies, left out of the rest of the group. I think part of our hearts just break for that woman because at some point, at another, we've all been the woman by the brownies, right? Like left out of the group, out of the huddle, just longing to meaningfully connect somehow. Longing for somebody to break their huddle, to walk those few steps over, introduce themselves and say, hi. You don't have to hang out by the brownies. You can come over. But they don't. This morning, we're continuing our series called Retro God, Throwback Ideas That God Still Cares About. And the idea was, was born out of the, these, you know, there's just some concepts, some ideas from the Bible, from the heart of God that we tend to think are like this old, outdated, green shag carpet that nobody wants anymore. We tend to think that they're, they maybe had a place once and they brought out the decor in the home of wood paneling and the, the bunny ears, remember the tin foil? Half of you don't get that reference. Uh, but they just throw it out. We don't need it anymore. This series says, like, wait a second, hang on. What if, what if God still cares about those things? What if God still cares because he's a very retro God? So we took a look at these modern concepts of ideas saying, like, what if God still cares about apologizing? Apologizing to each other, apologizing to him. And we said it's not just apologizing. The retro word is called confession. Uh, next week, what about God still cares about things like patience? But in the long form, this enduring kind of patience, th- this patience that sticks around, this patience that does, loves something so intensely, so deeply, that it pains you to see, to see it lost. And it's not just patience, it's patience on steroids. It, the throwback retro term is called long-suffering. And last week we said, you know, the jars, parents, everybody cares about growing older and growing more and more generous all the time. But the retro word behind that is called tithing or tenthing and saying that it's retro, but God still cares. This morning we see the Labor Day party and the huddles all across the lawn. And what would it take for one person to break out? And you're like, dude, easy answer. We can all go home. It's called friendliness. I mean, it's like not a biblical virtue at all. It's just something we learn in kindergarten and then have to relearn several times throughout. No, no, what if it's deeper than that? It's not just networking, right? It's trying to like build a business contact, although that's maybe a, a, a gift or a skill as well. But this, in the long form, we'll say again, we'll say friendliness networking, particularly when it comes to having eternal consequences, is called evangelism. And it's immediately, I just want to acknowledge the awkwardness in the room, just seeing that it's like, that doesn't feel comfortable to me. (laughs) Stick with me here as we get there, and we want to like roll with this Labor Day party, this theme, because we've got a few of those coming up as the holidays get closer and closer. Um, But first, let's go to a place in the Bible that this Labor Day party is addressed and that we don't always think about it this way. It's in Genesis chapter 11. To quick catch us up, Genesis, first chapter in the book of the, uh, first chapter, Genesis is the first book in the Bible. And it's right in the beginning. And just said plainly, Genesis is the story about how God's people became God's people. 
And so we can kind of see this, this scene um, morph and change and take on new life as we continue the book of Genesis here. This is Genesis chapter 11. It's on the screen behind me and your flow sheets in front of you. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks, bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And and we'll pause it right there. Um. Like I said, Genesis, the story of God's people becoming God's people. And it's a fascinating story. As we look through the book of Genesis, we can see these almost like threads that the author is weaving throughout, just like giving us clues to what's important to God's heart and what he like looks after and kind of where the people step off. And one of the interesting things that you really have to be a careful observer of the book of Genesis to fully appreciate or read about it in a book in preparation for a message, let's say, on Sunday, is looking at this and saying, there's this spiritual component of we're following the hearts of these would-be God's people. There's a spiritual component or a spiritual metric to it all. There's, at the same time, this geographical, physical metric that's almost, like, related somehow. And so the author kind of, like, drops these clues along the way to say, hey, by the way, as the people are wandering spiritually further and further away from God. They're also moving in a particular direction away from something. And then when they start to move spiritually closer and closer to the heart of God, they're also moving closer and closer and closer to a physical location. And it's fascinating to read some of these. And one of them is uh, in the very first chapter of Genesis. There's, uh, God creates, creates, creates this whole world. And in the middle of it all is the, the Garden of Eden. Not just a good place, but a perfect place. And when the people mess it up and, and, and wreck it, and they have to move away from there, it's interesting that the author of Genesis says they didn't just move out or into mom and dad's basement. <laughs> they move out in a particular direction. They move east of Eden. And so later on, when the author of Genesis says, oh, and by the way, um, you know, they're coming together and they're building this tower and this fascinating thing, you know, just heads up, they're, they're moving east. And you're going, east from what? Don't, you don't have to ask. They're moving east from God. They're moving east away from the heart of God. And so we just see in the first line here when it says, hey, by the way, they moved east. Immediately, a, a careful reader of the book of Genesis would say, you know, something's wrong here. Some, something's just not quite right, not quite in place. And then we see that they're building this tower that's going to go up to the heavens in a city so wide that it could accommodate seemingly everyone. I mean, the, the idea is that from all over the world, people would, would automatically would come to them. A picture that you get, that I get, walking out on the back porch, flipping on the, the porch light, turn it, you know, out of nowhere, mosquitoes, moths, bugs, you're just like, they all flock right in, right to that light. This is the concept, this is the idea that the people have. They're going to build this thing up and people will just come like moths to the light. Because we've got a tower that reaches to the heavens. Because we've got a place so high that if you could scale it, 
you could actually go get to the very, very tippy top of it where God is. And if you're wondering, like, you know what, man, why me? If you're wondering, you know, why was it that my job was cut? Why was it that, uh, like, he had to get sick? Why was it that she had to move away? Why me? If you're just angry and, like, fist clenched and just want, want to meet God, you know, just to give him a piece of your mind, scale the tower. Because if you can make it to the top, you can have that audience with God and you can yell at him face to face. I mean, the idea behind all of this is to simply say, We're going to make a bridge from here to a perfect place. And you can live here. Flock in like moths to the light. It's east, so there's something a little off about the idea. And then the biggest clue of all. The last phrase, if you're the note-taking type or the underliner, you can underline the last line, and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Those are powerful words for the Genesis. As we're following these people throughout and following this thread, what does it mean to not be scattered over the face of the whole earth? Big picture time. I mean, we're going to do like flyover, right? Just big, broad strokes of the Bible. Um, This is your opportunity to like really soak up some huge themes of the Bible as we go through. One of them is in Genesis 1. Remember, God creates, God creates, God creates. It's good. It's, It's sun is good and plants are good and earth is good and water is good and fish is good and people are very good, he says. And at the very last verse of Genesis chapter 1 is this tiny little phrase, or this line in Genesis 1, 28, on the, the flow sheets here that says, God blessed them, the people, and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. This line, hey, people, Go out and fill this earth. They're still in Eden at this point. They're still in this little garden. And God already has in his mind to say, you're going to go out from this place. You're not just going to be here all the time because it's not just this garden. It's actually this whole world that I want you to check out. I want you to explore. I want you to enjoy A little bit later on in the book of Genesis, still before this chapter of building the the tower and the city, but in Genesis uh, 6 through Genesis 8, there's a story of Noah. You have painted this picture as a mural on your kid's wall, you know, boat with the giraffes and all the animals and Noah and his family. The Noah story is a flood story, right, where God like says, you know what? This world would be better off without this garbage than with it. And so he chooses to just wipe it all, take out the garbage. And Noah and his family and these animals are left. Noah gets off the boat. I imagine him digging his toes into this semi-muddy soil for the first time in a very long time. The first words that God says to him when he does that. Noah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Noah, we're starting over. It's now on you. There's a world out there. Check it out. Explore it. Fill it. 
later on, much, much later on, in the uh, book of uh, Matthew, the very last chapter, Jesus had just died on the cross. He came back to life. He walked and talked with his followers, his disciples, for several weeks. And at the very end of all this, after he explains why it all had to be like this, why it all happened, just as it did, he's getting ready to ascend. He's getting ready to go into heaven again. It's the last time he sees them face to face, and his last words are, Go. Make disciples in every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded to you. But this, this still imperative of just go, get out in every nation, go. And then the first, or sorry, and then the first chapter in Acts, uh, only a little while later, the Acts of the disciples. Okay, what did the disciples do after Jesus left? Insert the book of Acts. The first chapter in there, it says God says to these people huddled up, afraid to leave their little one-bedroom apartment, and he says to them, he says, hey, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where their little apartment was, in Judea and Samaria, which is the region or the province or the state, and to the ends of the earth. So go. The first word that he used this morning when we started out, the Revelation chapter 7, the very, very end of the story, after it all happens and God is, is, is closing the curtains on this grand scene and he's calling everybody towards him and towards his presence. And it says that a slice of this picture is that from every nation, every tribe, every language, they're all representatives are gathered in front of his throne saying, salvation belongs to our God. How many of you have picked up the theme? In the Bible, yes, go, get out there. God has a mission that he wants us to accomplish. It's a mission of of not just being here, but also being sent, going. Um, This is not just, um, this is in a sense of like going and exploring and living and enjoying everything that God has, uh, has set up. He, you know, sees like Magellan being the first one to sail around the earth. And, you know, this sort of thing delights him because he said, go, check it out. I made it for you. He sees people way back in ancient days, like looking around, you know, and like looking up at this glowing orb in the sky and saying, you know what? Someday you're going to walk on that. It's called the moon. And this like cracked smile that God has just at the thought of his people exploring and enjoying this good creation. And then, you know, to maybe a lesser exciting extent, but a much smaller reddish orb in the sky. And says, you're going to put a robot on that one on Mars. It's just incredible, right? And it's not just like far and out there. It's, it's, it's small and it's here. You know, it's chemistry and physics and we learn and learn and dig deeper and deeper and deeper and figure out just how intricate this system that God is creating is set up. It is fascinating. Insert plug for our next series coming up in two weeks where we're looking at designed or gracefully designed where we take a look at some of these things and what's God telling through all of them. But no, the theme for today is going and being sent and exploring. It's about seeing the Grand Canyon, about surfing in the Pacific. It's about Jay and Kelsey. Raise your hands. Jay, there are Kelsey's up here. Jay does drums all the time. Unfortunately, they're leaving for Las Vegas. Jay is now a traveling nurse, so he's going to be all over the world going, if I'm not mistaken, more than he even like knows right now. But it's in exploring and trying new things and enjoying this culture and creating new. You can see this theme kind of pulled throughout. 
except there's a problem. Before any of this has ever happened, the people come together and they don't want to be scattered over the face of the earth. They don't want to go. And I want you just to imagine God seeing this play out and seeing this this world that he has intended for people to go and explore and create and imagine. And it just breaks his heart because they turn the gift down. It's almost like at a Labor Day party when everybody is content to huddle and to be in their circle, and they can laugh. And, it, and friends, it's comfortable. Except for not everybody is in a circle, is in a huddle. Because there's a woman standing awkwardly, painfully, by the brownies, by the snack table, just wishing that she could have a slice of what's going on over there. And the difference that it would make if somebody would, would, would break that huddle and just come over and say hi. Uh, there's an author named uh, Bill Hybels, who's also a pastor, and he, he wrote this, this book, and he talks about one of the stories in the book was the time that he was introduced to, um, as he calls it, someone with a, with a very Muslim-sounding name at this uh, like business kind of networking group. And he was like, okay, you know, kind of go around and share, like, what their industry they're in and things like that. And a little bit later on, people are mulling around, and a guy, like, motions over and, like, like points at him. And, and he goes, he mouths, love your books. And Hybels is like, there must be a serious author here. And he starts looking around. And he's like, no, no, you. It's you. And he's like, are you serious? So they end up talking later. And he's like, I was a little surprised to hear you say that you love my books because they're like, uniquely Christian bent about it. And, uh, you know, I don't want to, like, stereotype too much, but you don't seem like you would fit our, our target group. He goes, oh, no, no. no. I mean, I know what you used to talk about. Like, I know what you're talking about. I, I live that. I would go to these business, you know, meetings where we're supposed to be networking and meeting new people. And it was just, it was painful because I was, the, I was the only one in the room like me. And I would go to these things, and I would stand in the back corner, and I would pretty much like say hi to everybody in the room, and then just stand there by the snack table and, and wait a, a, a minimum amount of time until I could just get out of there and ha- not have it be socially weird. And then I would hightail it as soon as I could. And so I did this at another one of these groups. I would just hang around by the snack table, just waiting for the appropriate time before I can leave. And this guy comes over to me, and he introduces himself. And then he stayed. And he didn't, he didn't leave. And he got to know me, and he started asking questions. And then he invited me out for coffee later on. And at that point, I realized, like, this is, this is more about being friendly this is more than just networking. The guy really cared. 
And it's him saying, like, you know, I grew up Muslim, and I was just kind of everything that I've, I've, I've known and, and appreciated about who God is. And, and he says, so, you know, eventually it kind of comes out that, well, I'm a Christian, and, I, you know, I wanna, I'm interested in what you believe, and, you know, let me tell you about a little bit what I believe. And he started having coffee more and more and more and more. And pretty soon he has this, like, God flips this switch in his heart after walking along so long, years even. And he says, I, I think that God is asking me to be a Christian. Evangelism <laughs> happened by like friendliness and networking taking on eternal consequences. And all the difference it made, as, as Bill says, those 10 steps across, we'll say, across the yard and saying hi changes everything. Under the, the retro God, throwback ideas that God still cares about, I think he cares about the woman by the dip. I think this is very near. This is very close to his heart. And it, just, it pains him to see his daughter not having a group, not having a circle or a huddle. And he wants so badly for somebody to just walk across this yard, those 10 steps, and introduce themselves. A question sort of remains, though. Like, I, I want to... I want to participate in this um, like evangelistic endeavor. I want to participate in this mission of God of going. I don't even know where to begin. Um, call me later. We can talk about it. No, uh, at Encounter Church, we started a couple years ago. And, uh, and we said, this is what we want to be. We, this is how we feel like God is, is uniquely equipping us in this part of Kentwood. We said, we... we we're going to be like this kind of church where, where people, even if they don't have it in their background, that, that they can come to and feel comfortable and welcomed. We're not going to assume a certain thing about your background or about your, your like Bible knowledge or, or whether you've ever cracked the book before in your life. We're hopefully going to kind of start in this place without any assumptions and, and like welcome people in. And then not leave them, though, and then kind of invite us along into the journey closer to God's heart by meeting together in these small groups, Connect, or a women's Bible study, or Faith in Doubt. I mean, whatever it is, and say, it's important for us to, to get to know people on a closer level. So you'll kind of see at Encounter here, we, we do things, we set things up in a certain way, other person's idea, but we kind of applied it. It's to say, you know, in your home, you're getting to know somebody and you have like three rooms and we were building a church at the same time, with a church with three rooms. And so we take people, meet them at a, at a foyer or the front door at a carnival or a Easter egg hunt or at a college fair or whatever and say, you know what, I think you'd love to come to Sunday morning at Encounter. This is our, like a come on in from the foyer, have a seat in our living room. Let's, let's get to know each other a little bit better, a little bit more. And let me tell you about the story about Jesus and his grace and his love. And then, but, but not just that. Let me like, you know, I get to know somebody really close in the kitchen, working alongside somebody, making a meal, preparing, sitting down, enjoying that meal with somebody. You really get to know them that way. And so it's like living room or Sunday morning worship, invite, you know, like come on into a small group. Let's get to know each other a little bit more. Let's share some things that maybe we can't share on a Sunday morning. 
And so any counter, if you're like wondering, what does this evangelistic mean? What does it mean to not be scattered? What does it mean to, to go at encounter and to participate in evangelism or, or friendliness with eternal consequences, if you like that better? At encounter, it means just inviting them here. If this is a place, if there's anything about this experience that's like, you know, it's just a little, it's awkward for these reasons, tell us. We really want to know. Because we believe this is so close. This woman, God's daughter, God's son, who doesn't know him yet, is so close to God's heart that we would do anything to bridge that gap, to walk over. And we would because of what God does next in the story. Not wanting to be scattered over the whole earth. In Genesis 11, verse 5, the next verse. But the Lord, the Lord himself, came down to see the city and the tower they were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down, confuse their language so they'll not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over the whole earth. And they stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And if I could add just one thing, mission accomplished. Going so close to God's heart, he would do anything, anything to do it. Even if it means confusing languages, even if it means sending people who don't want to go. Later on, even if it means breaking up this ultimate huddle. You could just imagine heaven and angels and God. It's just glorifying God and celebrating Him. But knowing on earth that there are this, these people, sons and daughters, standing awkwardly, painfully by the snack bar who don't yet know Him. And Jesus walking out of that and saying, hang on. She needs me. He needs me. You need me. I need him. And even if it costs him his life, and it did, do whatever it takes to change someone's eternity. I invite you to stand up. Let's pray together. Heavenly God, you are the one who crossed that yard first. And came to find us and rescue us from our own awkwardness, from our own loneliness, to bring us into your graceful fold. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Help us this week. Give us this wisdom of knowing how to do it and courage to follow it through so that, Lord, we can participate in, in this plan that you have of crossing the yard and reaching people with eternal consequences. In your name we pray. Amen.